Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. So good to see you all. For those of you that I've not met yet, my name is Reese, and uh, it's a real joy to have you with us this morning. Uh, It's Mother's Day, as we've said already, and so happy Mother's Day. Uh, We're so glad to have everyone with us today. Now, um, I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Okay. Father, we just thank you so much for the joy of being together and for the wonder of motherhood and for what we get to celebrate today as we see families come up and children and we hear the chatter of children and the life and the irrepressibility of them. We just thank you, Father, for uh, what you have created and uh, we just celebrate, Lord Jesus, what you've done, what you've done in our lives, what you're doing. And Father, I pray this morning that we would connect with you, that you would speak to us through your word. I pray, Father, for an encounter with you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Good. All right. Well, this morning I'd like to talk about the... (laughs) You better get that. Uh, We're still getting a lot of noise from the back there. Sounds like there's lots of conversations going on at the back. Um, uh, Let's let's just get everyone through. Great. Thanks, guys. Uh, so, So this morning I want to talk about how a mothering heart comes from God. Um, I want to talk about how mothering is actually part of the nature of God Himself. Uh, I'm going to talk about how God gave Himself a mother, and then I want to talk about how God invites us to respond to His heart towards us. And so that's kind of where we're going this morning. Uh, I want to start just by talking about the nature of God and where mothering comes from. Now, many of us will be familiar with the story of how the disciples noticed that Jesus would take himself off and pray, and there seemed to be some sense of a connection between when Jesus went to pray and the power that he seemed to have as he ministered to other people. And so, one day they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said something that was actually quite staggering. He, when, he, when he taught them to pray, he said, when you come to pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Why is that staggering? For us, that seems so familiar. Many of us uh, will have heard the Our Father prayer many times. Maybe we've said it in school assemblies or uh, other contexts. But for a first century Jew, the idea of relating to God as a father, 
as personal in that way was absolutely outside of their context of reference. They, they saw God as the spirit being high and exalted, a God, but the idea of personal relationship with him, the idea of personal interaction with him, that was something completely foreign to them. And, uh, uh, but the truth is that, that even here in our day today, we can talk about the Our Father. <laughs> And, and I, I remember as a kid at school, we used to rattle through. We had this competition to see how fast we could get through the Our Father. And so we'd say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed. And, and, and that, would be, that would be our way of praying. Now, what do you notice about that? It's totally unrelational. It totally misses the point. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with a father in which we experience his fatherhood. We relate to him. We enjoy a relationship where, where God blesses us. God is fatherly towards us. We are invited to say, you're my father, my wonderful father, my glorious father, my gentle father. But even more uncommon can be this idea that it's not only fathering traits that come from God, it's mothering traits as well. God teaches us, and Ben referred to this earlier on, that God made man and woman in His image. And that in some wonderful way, we have a fuller view of who God is when we see male and female together. Okay, And it's really important that we grasp that, even though God's self-revelation of Himself is as Father, the, the traits of fathering and mothering both come from Him. Now, the trap that we sometimes fall into is that we think this is an analogy, that God is like a Father. And we, we kind of project onto God this image of our Father. But that's not how God's Word puts it. God's Word puts it that God is the ultimate Father, the first Father, the Father from which every other Father is derived. And so, so God is the ultimate, the first Father. Every other Father is in some sense a pale reflection of Him. But the natural thing, and I've said this many times before, is that what we tend to do when we look at God is we look at God through the lens of our Father. And if he was a particularly bad father or an absent father, we tend to see God through the lens of an absent father or a harsh father. Or we see God through the lens of our own father. But actually what we need to do is we need to switch those two things around. We need to see our own earthly father through the lens of God our father. We need to begin to see how good he is. And that actually sometimes will give us compassion for our earthly fathers. When we see, wow, they messed up with me, we begin to see, no, I can see them through the image of my heavenly father. But in the same way, the source of true mothering is also God. Every father can look to God to emulate him and say, this is how I father my children. And every mother can look to God and say, I can see how to mother 
my children. So the same way, both of these things originate with God. The characteristics of a mother originate with God. Now, in Isaiah 66, verse 12, Isaiah was one of the prophets who spoke to Israel, and he, he kind of portrayed this massive picture of how God was going to come as a Savior. And he portrayed two elements of this picture, uh, that God was going to come as a conquering king, but that God was also going to come as a suffering servant. These two, uh, it was totally paradoxical. You see it all the way through his prophecy, and you think, how on earth is it possible for these two things to be joined in the same person? How can you have a conquering king and a suffering servant in the same person. And that's ultimately revealed to us through Jesus. Jesus is both the conquering king. He's the one who kills sin. He's the one who puts death to death. He's the one who stands over all things, the one that we've been singing about this morning. But he's also the one who hangs on a tree and gives his life for you and me. And so we see in Jesus this conquering king and this suffering servant. Now, as Isaiah is looking forward to this conquering king and this suffering servant, he says these words, For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her, and her is a metaphorical way of speaking about his people. I will extend peace to my people like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. This morning we've, we've seen uh, mothers holding babies on their hips. It's a, a, a wonderful picture as God speaks of himself as holding us on his hip and bouncing us on his knees. A beautiful, uh, intimate picture of the love of God for his people. Uh, he says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. Have you ever received comfort from your mother? Uh, I have watched my kids run to uh, Sarah so many times uh, with all kinds of different circumstances uh, where they've fallen over and hurt themselves or, or they've gone through something that's been difficult and painful, them rushing to mom as a mother, as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. Speaks of the protection of God, the comfort of God, the uh, the provision of God. This is how God wants to be with us. And, and the language that's all being used here is the language of motherhood. God loving his people like a mother. And so the, the impulses of motherhood originate with God. The nurturing that we see in God's heart is that which flows from the heart of God. We might never have considered the, uh, the idea of God as a nurturer. But that's what he's saying to us. I am one who nurtures you. I, and what, what does nurture mean? It means to gradually raise with detail, with, with care, with, to bring you along, 
God is a nurturer of us. But also it speaks of protection. You ever seen a, a mother turn into a lioness <laughs> when her kids are under threat? It's a, it's a profound change that happens in a woman. Grace is just lifting her thumb there. Yeah, it's a profound thing. This, this nurturing, gentle uh, woman suddenly becomes uh, somebody you don't want to tussle with. Um, <laughs> and, and so every woman here, every woman on the stream this morning, you need to know Number one, you were created in the image of God. Number two, as you express these things, you are expressing the heart of God. But also, you can come to Him to receive these things for yourself. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Now, whether you have children or not, whatever your circumstances, God created you as a woman to passionately protect, to caringly provide for, and to tenderly nurture others, whether you have children of your own or not. Now, I recognize Mother's Day is often a, a painful day for many, that there, there are women in our midst for whom Mother's Day represents joy in birth, but it also represents the pain of losing a child. For others, today is a day where they're experiencing pain and grief because they never had children. Again, we'll talk about this in a moment. But I just want to express the sense that whether you've had children of your own or not, whether, uh, whether you've had and lost, whether you have children, for every single woman, God put into you a heart to nurture, protect, and to tenderly care for others. As a teenager, uh, I saw my, my own mother battle the realities of what it meant to be a single mom and to raise two teenage kids. And, uh, and, and, and really, I think there's something quite profound in watching someone going through tremendous difficulty herself uh, in, and working through her own rejection and pain, and yet putting herself out day after day after day to care for her kids' needs. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is the way that a mother is with her children. And there's a word that we don't use often enough to describe God, or it's a word that we would use maybe to describe motherhood, and it is tenderness. And there's a beautiful sense to the gospel that the way that God is with us is tender. He's tender with us. So quickly we jump to uh, pictures of judgment, maybe. We miss the sense that God tenderly cares for us. God is like a mother to us. Now, Isaiah 49, just to drive this point home, Isaiah 49, verse 15, God says this. So this is speaking through the same prophet. He says this to his people. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child? Can a woman forget her nursing child? I wonder whether you've heard the cry of a newborn. 
<laughs> ben, ben is uh, very familiar with that. There's a few, a few mums and dads here this morning who are very familiar right now with the cry of a newborn. And the, the level of desperation, do you remember that? The desperation that comes through in a cry of a newborn, the way the lip quivers. Uh, ah, ah, I'm going to die if you don't feed me right now, right now. It's urgent. It's, and and, and the, the newborn just has a, Can you imagine forgetting that? Can you imagine forgetting that? Can you imagine being in the moment of hearing that cry and forgetting it? Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? There's something profound about the way we love that which has come from us, isn't there? I remember when Eden was born, uh, my, my own fear that I wouldn't love her. That, uh, that somehow I just wouldn't have the capacity for that. I, I, I didn't see myself as particularly a kid person. And uh, here we were about to have this baby. Uh, and uh, I, I remember praying to God in the weeks leading up to the birth, God, I, I, just, I, I want you to give me love because I'm concerned that I won't love enough, that, I, that my love won't be real enough. Or, uh, <laughs> of course, I shouldn't have been too concerned because when she arrived and I held her in my arms for the first time, it was like, oh my gosh, I will never, never not love you. Uh, whatever this looks like, I will love you. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Even she should, uh, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, even if you could forget your own child, even if you could forget, like, and, and we do see mothers abandon babies, don't we? It's, it's like this terrible thing. You, you wonder what on earth must have been going on in her, her mind and in her heart to, to abandon the, the child uh, that she has brought into the world. And God says, even if it is possible for you to abandon your own child, and for many of us, that's just an impossible thought. Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Whatever your relationship with God looks like today, whatever it is like, this is God's heart towards you. However you see God, however you perceive Him, whether you know him well, whether you've never really met him, this is God's heart towards you. I have graven you on the palms of my hands. Now, Jesus Christ, this of course is a picture that pulls us forward from Isaiah's prophecy into Jesus Christ hanging on a cross where Jesus allowed us to drive nails into his hands, and where he allowed us to put him to death. And when I say allowed, it was Jesus' choice. Jesus said, at any point I could call 12 legions of angels. <laughs> they would decimate this place. It's my choice. I choose to let you do this to me. I choose for you to put this iron through my palms 
because I love you, because I want you. I'm reaching out. I have engraved you on my palms, he says. These same palms that he hung out, that, that he pushed out, stretched out, and allowed us to do that to him with. Jesus allowed, because of his heart for us, he took our guilt, he took our shame, he took what you had done, he took your lack of innocence. What, what Dan said this morning, clean hands and a pure heart, one who f swears to false things, one who lays down his heart or serves an idol, we've all done this in different ways. And Jesus says, I'll take that for you so that you might have forgiveness. But let's back up a moment. How is it that God comes to be hanging on a tree? How is it possible that, that, that things could come to that? Well, the first of thing, first of all, we need to understand that God, the, the Spirit, God is Spirit, came into creation, the world that He had made, and he clothed himself with humanity, with, with flesh. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas every year. We celebrate that God said, I'm going to come and relate to you. I'm going to come and meet with you in a way that you can understand. You can't understand me as spirit. You can't see me. You can't hear me in the same way. I'm going to literally come so that you can touch me and you can interact with me and you can meet with me. I'm going to come in that way, and when I come in that way, you will be able to understand me and relate with me at a whole different level. In order to do this, God gave Himself a mother. God gave Himself a mother. It's staggering to think, isn't it, that God gave Himself a human mother, that when God chose to clothe Himself with human flesh, He didn't just walk out of heaven and onto earth one day. He entrusted Himself to the womb of a woman. A woman nursed Him at her breasts. Nursed God. A woman tended to the cries of God. A woman fled to a different nation as a refugee in order to protect God. A woman raised Jesus and his siblings probably for much of her life as a single mother. Why do I say that? Well, because we don't hear much about Joseph uh, after Jesus was 12. Seems like it was probable that he died young and that Mary was left to raise the kids by herself. When we consider that Jesus, that God emptied himself of his glory and he came to the womb of a woman and he allowed himself to be raised, isn't that staggering? The gospel is the most staggering thing. I wonder if you've ever considered the idea of raising God, mums. Can you imagine raising God? You know, I, I don't know a mother who hasn't at some point felt like a failure. If you're a mum and you felt like a failure in raising your kids, could you just lift your hand? 
honestly. Okay? I don't think I'm seeing any, anyone who hasn't lifted their hands. I don't know of a woman who hasn't at some point felt like a failure. Am I ruining my kid? <laughs> Am I, is my kid going to actually come out of, of my care? And, and can you imagine raising God? Raising the perfect child, thinking the whole of eternity rests on this kid and he's in my care. What an incredible thing to do. Listen, when you raise a child, I want to say this to you. The pleasure of God is upon you. The pleasure of God is upon you. God shines on you. The blessing of the Father radiates around you in the midst of your sleepless nights. In the midst of that sense of, I cannot get away from this responsibility. In the midst of children clinging to you and nagging and saying, I want, I want, I want, and behaving badly, and you having to work out how to discipline them, do you know what? God radiates His favor on you. You are doing something that is so close to the heart of God that He so loves, that He so cares about. It's like He just wants you to feel His pleasure on you. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to know, you, even though you think you're permanently on call, He's the one who's truly permanently on call. Now, as I said... This day, for many, is tinged with bitterness, with pain. Maybe you're a mum who lost a child. Maybe your mother was not someone who was tender with you. Maybe your mum abandoned you. Maybe you lost your mum when you were young. Maybe you dreamed of being a mother and this has never been the case. Maybe you come today... And what's kind of in your heart is, God, why did you allow that to happen to me? What would God say to you today? God won't give you an answer to the why question. But God does something else. He doesn't give us a reason. He simply steps into our pain. And he comes right in. He walks right in to everything that's wrong in our lives. Jesus chooses the cross. Jesus chooses to suffer. Jesus chooses to experience everything, every, every sense of pain that we experience, rejection, brokenness, feeling passed over, feeling left and abandoned, feeling lost. Everything that we experience, Jesus has experienced. God has entered right into. God is able to identify with you in that. And God is able to help you in that. God is able to pour His own Spirit into your life to help you in the midst of that. And, you know, when we talk about Jesus choosing the cross, what I said just now, it's so important that we remember that Jesus was sinless. He was the sinless one. Jesus was utterly innocent. Is there anyone in this room has, who has not experienced guilt? I'm not seeing any hands going up. 
Why? Because we've all experienced it. We're all familiar with feeling guilty. We've all experienced regret. We've all struggled with things. Jesus Christ is the only person in the universe who never had. So when Jesus went to the cross for our sin and our shame, he was completely unfamiliar with guilt, with shame, with condemnation. And in that moment on the cross, on him was laid not just the guilt and the shame of one man or woman. What was laid on him was the guilt and shame and sin of every man and every woman who would put their trust in him through every age to come. He went from never knowing sin to knowing so much pain and guilt and shame that would utterly break a human heart. That's what Jesus Christ did for us, for you and for me. So Jesus is nearer to anyone who is in pain than we can imagine. Now John, one of Jesus' followers, writes in his eyewitness account of when Jesus was on the cross. And he says this, he says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, and one part for each soldier, uh, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, <laughs> so it was probably quite a nice tunic, woven in one place from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And they are plundering his possessions in this moment. Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Something that was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified. He goes on to say, So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross were his mother... And his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother, he's hanging on a cross. When Jesus saw his mother, and the disciple whom he loved, this is how John refers to himself. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. In Jesus' moment of unbelievable agony, with every fiber in his body screaming in pain, where every breath he took demanded that he lift himself up on those nails in his hands so that he could pull breath in, Yet he still cared for his desolate mother and pulled enough breath into his body to speak, to care for her in that moment. He places her in family, in community. That's what God does. Mary, John is your son. John, Mary is your mother. In your pain, Jesus places you in family. 
Jesus invites you into relationship with others to care and to be cared for. In your loss and grief, God comes close and draws you into community. Now, before I finish with my final point, I just want to give an opportunity for a moment. For, for you, if you are in a place of really experiencing pain and grief right now, maybe you're a mum, maybe you're uh, one of the people that I described, why don't, you, why, why don't we all just close our eyes just for a moment? And if that's you, if you would say, actually, for me, life just feels full of grief and pain right now, why don't you just stretch out your hands to God? And I just want to pray for God's comfort and for God's blessing on you right now. Just do it. Just feel free to lift up your hands to Him. Just to Him. Father, I want to pray for everyone right now in grief and pain. I want to pray that they would experience your affection, that experience the love, the joy, the entering in of God into their circumstance. Holy Spirit, would you bring comfort? Would you carry them on your hip? Would you shine your light and your blessing into their hearts right now? In the name of Jesus. Okay, I want to finish with this. God invites us to offer ourselves to Him in order to be fruitful. What makes a woman a mother? What's the passion and the seed of a husband? At least it should be. That's the way a woman becomes a mother. One of the, <laughs> we were just joking the other day about how, uh, <laughs> I was joking with Ben and Rochelle about, you know, um, Rochelle carrying Ruby all these nine months and then going into labor and giving birth. And uh, Ben and I were just joking about how large his role in the whole thing was. And uh, you, you know if you're a father, <laughs> you know, your role <laughs> is pretty small in comparison to your wife's role. Uh, she's the champion in this. One of the greatest dangers of celebrating masculinity over femininity is that we can lose our understanding of how to respond to God and how to receive affection and love for us from God as He would want to show it to us. So God's Word teaches us that Jesus Christ is the groom and that His people are a bride. And, 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 and His people are a bride that He is besotted with, that He adores, that He delights in. And, and I don't know about you, but when I uh, got together with Sarah, well, let me just say this. When I got together with Sarah, initially she was not interested. I, I shouldn't say when we got together. I should say before we got together, she was not interested. Yeah, that would have been awkward. <laughs> she was interested when we got together, all right? Just to, just to, just to be really clear, <laughs> all right? But before that, she wasn't interested. Her interests lay elsewhere, shall we say. 
But the idea of a wife who does not respond, a wife who does not receive affection and give affection, what a poor, what an impoverished relationship that is, isn't it? That's not what we want. We, want. we want joy and passion and life and vibrancy. Well, it's no different for the King of Kings. It's no different for Jesus the groom. He doesn't want this lukewarm uh, people who just kind of pitch up and are really not very interested in their groom. He's looking for a people of passion. He's looking for a people who, who know his love, who delight in his love, who come rushing because they know we are so loved, we are so accepted, we're so wanted, we're so desired. He wants that from us. He wants, he wants to lavish us with his love, but he wants us to understand I can give love back to him. I think we need more songs about how I love you. Not Jesus is my girlfriend songs. Songs that genuinely express the passion of a bride for her bridegroom. That's what God wants to put into His church. He wants us to be this people who are irrepressible in worship because we have understood the reality of what He gives to us and how He lavishes His love and affection on us. I have found just for myself over the years that I will often in the mornings as I read my Bible, I will close it and I will just start to sing. And it's funny, I think... On the mornings that I start to sing and I just begin to lift my voice, sometimes I sing songs I know, sometimes I just make my own words up as I sing, uh, and, and I just sing out to Him, and it's like I suddenly feel the sun on my face. I don't mean that physically, it's, but that's just kind of like what I sense in my spirit. It's like I begin to receive the affection of God, and it ignites me. It does something within my own heart in terms of responding to God. Whoever you are, whatever your relationship with God, you will never live out the true purpose of your life until you come into this kind of relationship with God. God invites you into his family, into his bride. He says, come and be part. I want to lavish you with love and grace and affection. And I want you to give it back to me. I want this to be a relationship of adoration and joy. And just as the seed of a man produces new life in the womb of a woman, so the Holy Spirit comes on us and produces new life in us. That our spirits come to life because of him. A religious man once said to Jesus, how can I be saved? And Jesus said to him, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And the man was confused and he said to Jesus, can a man be born twice? Like, how, can I get back into my mother's womb? What a bizarre thing you're saying to me. And Jesus says to him, no, you don't understand. The first birth is physical, but the second birth is a spiritual birth. And the Holy Spirit of God comes like that seed, and it brings to birth a new life in us. Now, it may be that this morning, as I've been speaking, you have been, been aware, I don't have this kind of relationship with God. That God is at arm's length to you. Maybe, maybe for some of us, church, this is like uh, 
an, another expression of empty religion, rules you need to follow, ceremonies that don't make sense to you. Maybe that's how you see this. Uh, maybe in that sense you have rejected God. Maybe, maybe you even as a child went along to a church and you basically came to a point of saying, I reject this. This is not for me. Or maybe you've religiously gone to church all the years of your life, but you wouldn't identify with a sense of being born again, that life has happened inside you, that there's something new, there's something vibrant, there's something vital in you. Well, do you know what? There are three ways that we can live. We can live rejecting God and rejecting religion, or we can live as very religious but not encountering God. Or we can live for Jesus, encountering God. There are three different ways that we can live. And it's important for us to understand which one of those three we actually are in. Jesus says this. Jesus is looking at Jerusalem just before his death. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered? Listen, here's the mother's heart again. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing Jesus' heart is being revealed towards his people, and he says, hey, you are not willing. You're not willing to come to me. I want to ask you this question this morning. Jesus looks at you and says, how I have longed to gather you like a hen gathers her brood, but you are not willing. Let me ask you the question, are you willing? What's your response? Not to me, to Jesus today. What's your response to him? What would you say to him as he comes and offers you his love? Would you say, I'm not willing? Or would you say, I'm open? I'm open. Would you show yourself to me? Would you reveal yourself to me? You see, friends, it's easy to grow up in this culture and think we know God. We're, we're, we're Christians because we grow up in a Christian culture. But when, when, when we, we see the prodigal son, we see two different sons. We see one who rejects his father. He says, I'm, I'm going off. I'm going to do whatever I want. We see a second son who's, who's very close to the father in proximity, and he works every day of his life. But actually, his heart is far from his father. He's the religious one. We find people who are not religious, and we find people who are religious, but neither of them know Jesus. And Jesus would say to each one of us, wherever you are, whether you're irreligious or whether you're very religious, but don't know me, I have an invitation for you this morning. Come and experience my love. Come and know my heart. I am tender towards you. I wonder whether we could just have the band back up. We're just going to... Why don't we stand? I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Not to me, but to Jesus this morning.
Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? Okay, why don't you just lift your hands out to him? Maybe you would recognize, actually, my life is more religious than it is full of Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christian many years, and, but you would say, actually, I don't think there's a, a sense of life and uh, joy and peace and fellowship with God, that sense of a bride adoring her bridegroom and experiencing the adoration of the bridegroom. That's not my day-to-day reality. That's not what I experience. If that's the case for you, Jesus wants to say, come close, come close this morning. Maybe you're in that place of saying, I don't even have a relationship with God. Either I'm irreligious and I don't have a relationship, or I'm religious and I don't have a relationship with God. Jesus invites you. He says, come to me. Not not come to religion, not come to church, not come to any of these things, but come to me. Come to me. I am the one that has life. I am the one. Come to me. So this morning, just right now, you can respond to him and say, I'm coming. I'm coming. I want to trust you. I want to know your love. You can just say it to him. I, I want to experience you. I don't, I don't want to live religious or irreligious. I want to know you. I want to experience you. I want this life of the Holy Spirit that Reese has been talking about. I want that in my life. I want that in my heart. Why don't you just say that to him? Why don't you just respond to him?